Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. Buy low, sell high. Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. For example, high interest rates are hurting the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices in a lot of markets are falling, even for many of the best assets. So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com pockets, fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes, but how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com. Or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to On The Market. I am your host, Dave Meyer, here with James Daner today. James, how's it going, man? That's good, man. I'm excited to talk about dirt. That's actually one of my favorite business models is sourcing building lots. Is it something you've been doing a long time? Yeah, we've been doing it. Well, we've been doing it for about 10 years, but then we really started sourcing a lot of dirt uh, a couple years ago, where or I'd say three years ago, because we were working with so many fix and flip clients. Um, you know, it's the same general process, but honestly, as a wholesaler or broker, it's a little bit easier because, you know, when you're selling dirt versus a fix and flip house, a lot of times they're just a professional company buying it. And so it's, it's a lot more of a smooth transaction rather than the learning curve of fix and flip. Yeah. I mean, it seems like an interesting time to get into this business, which is why for everyone listening, we brought, we're bringing on a guest, Dan Apke, who 
is going to teach us and inform us about a pretty interesting strategy I had not really heard much about prior, which is basically land flipping. Um, and we wanted to do it because, James, you've said a lot on the show recently that land prices are going down a lot. Um, and obviously that presents risk, but it also could present opportunity if, if land prices are falling so dramatically. I'm curious to uh, hear if you and Dan think that it's a it's a good investment or there's going to be some attractive price points in the near future. Yeah, it, there there's a great opportunity for people right now on um, buying that kind of pro- at least in our metro area. You know, l- dirt has fallen 30, 40 percent. And so what it's allowed us to do is actually buy some rental pro rather than just buying land cheap we're actually buying rental property with zoning upside to where that property can be worth a lot of money down the road right and so you know i i know in our market there's a substantial opportunity i mean anytime you can buy it 30 percent, 40 percent cheaper in a nine-month period that's a that's usually a good idea um and i'll be curious to see how it's going in the rural market because i know the more expensive product has came down more but those cheap investments are still i mean they have a lot of velocity right now they're still moving like People still want to buy real estate, but they want to buy the cheap stuff. All right. Well, let's bring on Dan because I think that you make a great point. We're going to bring on Dan who's going to teach us all about a very interesting business model for buying land that maybe many of our listeners will want to consider. But I think even if you don't, learning just about it, we're we're going to talk a lot about an area of the country and a part of the country that we don't talk about a lot in the show, which is rural America. And Dan has some really interesting insights into what's going on with real estate in general in rural America. So you're definitely going to want to stick around and check this one out. But first, we're going to take a quick break. We know you've heard it before. Cash flow is getting very hard to find. There's always long distance investing, but you may be thinking, I don't have a team, enough experience, or the market knowledge to get in. That's where you're wrong. And it's also where Rent to Retirement comes in. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest out of state with confidence. They've got single family, multifamily, new build, and syndication opportunities across multiple markets. They even have bird deals with immediate equity. Rent to Retirement helps investors learn how to build a bulletproof business plan with the best investment and tax strategies around to help you reach financial freedom through real estate. There's no excuse not to get started in real estate investing when you have the right team and systems already in place. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Dan Apke, welcome to On The Market. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Dave. Well, why don't we get started by just having you introduce yourself and telling our audience a little bit about your involvement with real estate investing. Absolutely. So I actually, originally I got started in e-commerce. I had an e-commerce electric bike company. I you know, was trying so many different businesses. I had drop shipping businesses. I had Amazon FBA businesses. And Along the route, I bought my first rental property about five five years ago. It was a commercial salon. That was my first introduction to real estate as a whole. So it was a it was a salon on the bottom, apartment on top. I bought it for eighty two thousand dollars. That was when kind of that was my introduction to real estate. That's when I fell in love. And ever since then, I continued to buy real estate. Along the way, you know, I was involved in all these different businesses. Like I said, 10, 12 different businesses, and I just saw you know, lack of sustainability in a lot of these kind of get rich quick schemes, a lot of different, you know, things that will not be around in 20 years. And I sold my electric bike company to an investor out in California. And during the process of that, one of my mentors kind of showed me buying under market land. And I dove full force into that with my brother. He's my 50-50 business partner. We looked into the business model. I loved the sustainability of it. I loved how just wasn't competitive like a lot of the other real estate industries I was seeing at the time. Just lack of competition, sustainability. We dove full force in then into land investing. Started buying, you know, anywhere between twenty to fifty properties you know, in our first few months of getting into that. And ever since then, it's been history. We've been hiring transaction coordinators, salespeople for our team. We dove into land investing really full force. I, I love the sustainability. I love the lack of competition in the space, and just something that's going to be around for a long, long time. That's great. Congratulations on on your early success um, or all of your success. I do want to get into the land. That's obviously why you're here. But given all the side hustles you've done, what was the worst one you did? I'm very curious. I had a ghostwriting business. So I was publishing books in the romance section sector. Whoa! Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad I asked this question. <laughs> I've, I've barely written, like, I, I don't read a lot of books in general for the most part. I've always had trouble struggling reading in general, just from lack of attention. And then I started writing romance books using an author and publishing those on Amazon. It was actually good money. It's just, I hated it. Like I hated, I hated the business model. Oh man, you got out right before chat GPT too. I'm sure (laughs) writing all the romance novels now. (laughs) So so Daniel, how's your dating life if you're a romance romance novelist? Yeah, I I put a lot of emphasis on the editing. I never even got around to really reading one of the books, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, uh, let's get into the real estate side of things. So you said um, someone introduced you to the concept of land investing. Is that right? 
exactly. His name was Mike Bruska. He was doing e-commerce with me, my mentor in the e-commerce and dropshipping space. And he had a lot of success and he saw this business model. I mean, the key, what he was doing, I think at the time, what he was buying, buying properties under market value and then reselling them, I think on notes or seller financing and things. And I saw, you know, the objective of buying properties under market value and we switched up the business model a little bit, but that was the name of the game at the time. And he introduced me to that. And Daniel, what what land acquisition? Because you know, land acquisition is a huge market, right? And there's all different types of uh, type of land uh, that you can you can source. You know, whether it's track homes, spot lots, or or uh, affordable lots nationwide. What what segment are you in? And then why did you go to that segment of the market? Because you know, it, there's so many different businesses inside land acquisition and disposition which ones did you guys focus on immediately? Because getting going on 20 to 30 deals in your first couple of months, that's a lot of, that's a lot of moving. You're moving a lot of land or dirt at that point. Um, what made you kind of focus on the specific area and, and what, what, what do you guys target? So we were targeting at the time, anything from like two to 50 acres that were really laid back with zoning. We want someone to be able to put a mobile home on it. Very, very little restrictions. We didn't like HOA properties just because they were more difficult to skip to, sell a lot of times if we didn't know the market and have a buyer's list and things like that. So we were going across mainly the South. At first, we were in like Tennessee and Georgia. Those were our two main markets. And we're really outside of those, the Nashville areas, Memphis areas in Atlanta. And we'd go, you know, one to three counties away from from those areas and target anything really between two to 50 acres with very little restrictions because the lower restrictions without knowing a ton of about the market when just entering, the lower the restrictions, the safer it is. And that's kind of how we scaled to that number. We just got nice pieces of land. We get drone shots on all of our land. We get really nice pieces of land with very little restrictions and they sell pretty well. Okay. So you guys focus on path of progress areas. That's it, do, Is that naturally kind of what you're looking for? Those core, because I mean, that's where you can get big hits is that path of progress. Metro areas are expanding out. Is that why you guys kind of focus on the fringe with with low, I mean, low regulations, but is it also just because the growth is naturally, you know, as the market gets better, it expands out. Is that been, is that kind of the reasons you started with like outside Nashville or major metro cities? Yeah. So for us, it's about finding that balance, right? We, we don't necessarily want to be in the hottest markets in the United States, but we also don't want to be in the slowest markets. We like to find that balance. That's why we take those hotter areas, the path of progress, take the Nashvilles of the world, Atlantas of the world and bounce a few counties out. That's kind of the name of the game. We want to make sure, yes, we can sell it on the back end, but at the same time, we don't want them being overwhelmed with other people's offers, extremely competitive. So we try to find that middle ground in this business model. Speaking of business model, that's actually the question I wanted to ask you, Daniel. So tell me, can you just give us a basic rundown of what the business model is for buying land? Absolutely. So the first thing we do, like we were just talking about, we actually need to select a county. Like we go by countywide. We're not in zip codes or anything. We usually select a county outside of an area like we're talking about, one to three counties outside of a city of our our choice. And let's say example example is Atlanta. We're going around the Atlanta market. We choose, you know, five to ten different counties to analyze. And then we're actually analyzing what we do. We analyze, okay, what's the days on market? What's the population density? We don't want overly populated areas. It doesn't work well for this rural vacant land business model. So we also want to see another major thing to look at is like what properties are are for sale on the market now? Are we going to be competing against 25 other five acre market five acre properties on the market? So we want to look at the competition, but then we also want to look at the sold data, right? Make sure the sold for sale to sold data ratio is okay to make sure, okay, we're going to buy this five acre lot. We got to put it up and we got to be able to sell it. So we start diving into things like what 
how long did this five acre lot take to sell? How long was it on the market? How long was it pending and actually going through on the sale? But then what we actually do, talking about the business model specifically, what we do, we're pricing all of our offers. So we're sending blind offers. That's how we acquire. And we typically send blind offers to purchase their land in cash for about 35 to 45% of market value on average. And there's a lot that goes into that, but that's what we're doing in bulk, right? We're pooling a lot of data. So say Macon County, Georgia, we want all the records from two to 50 acres, like we discussed before. That spits out 5,000 records. Now let's go into the county and figure out how to price it, look at the competition, and then really just bulk price that 5,000, send them direct mail. Okay. And then, you, but like, how are you making money off it? Who are you selling them to? How are you reselling them? Yeah. So we're, we're buying these in our own names. We have a group of investors in our group, in our land community, and they actually will put up the upfront capital to buy the deal. So we're buying them in our name and then we're putting it on the market. If it's an area we do a lot of work in, like around Atlanta, Georgia, we have really, really good land realtors we work with that know us and work with us very closely. We'll give it to them. We'll just hand it over to them. They'll put it on the market, do the showings, handle all the leads for us. If we're in an area we can't, like we're talking rural America, where where's majority of our land? It's in rural America. And sometimes the there's just not a lot of land agents out there. And then you take the small amount that there are, and there's not a lot of good ones as well. So if we can't find a good realtor, what we do, we put it on, we will put it on the MLS using like a flat rate broker or, and we'll put it on a website called land.com. It will get to like lands of America, landwatch.com, all those. And then last is Facebook marketplace. We actually sell a ton of land on Facebook marketplace and that's kind of our strategy. So we always get on the MLS. So it's on the realtor and Zillow's of the world. And we'll always get on the land.com and Facebook marketplace. Those are like our three key areas to sell it. So we're selling to the mass public. We're not, we, we personally don't really utilize buyers list because we're not doing the whole infill thing. We're selling to end users who are putting a cabin on it, putting a house on it, whatever, just hunting on it. And that's kind of our business model. When we get more into infill lots, that's when we utilize our business or our, our buyers list and all of that. And Daniel, what kind of feasibility, you know, as you're buying land, because, you know, you're buying in all different types of areas and counties. So before you, even if you're targeting 35%, you want to make sure that you're buying something that's sellable. What kind of feasibility do you guys run on these properties before you close on them? Because I know, you know, if, if there's wetland setbacks or anything like that, it can it can kill a deal really easy. Or if the, you know, like the topo's out of whack, which is like the topography, if there's a lot of hillside. Um, what do you guys do prior to kind of like buying that deal? Yeah. So for every five like purchase agreements, so that's what we're sending out. We're sending out purchase agreements in the mail, blind offers. So for every five we get back, we usually buy one of them just because like you're saying, the feasibility, we call it like underwriting the deal, right? We're looking at the wetlands, the slope, the ty typography. We get drawn out to every single lot before we buy it to check everything. Uh, we look at the pricing, make sure, you know, sometimes we'll way overprice mail by accident. It just happens. We're sending out such a large volume of mail. Some pieces were just overpricing. Sometimes we got to go back and negotiate down. There's a lot of things that come up, but in general, yeah, slope, wetlands, floodplain. And then we look at attributes, things like that. Then we get a drone guy to walk out there. We have a set of things that we send the drone where he actually goes and walks the property, gets ground photos of it, aerial photos of it, walks the property, give us a report, and then gives us the pictures. And then if we're using a realtor as well, we'll send them there prior to purchasing it as well. So those are kind of our, our steps. We have a very heavy underwriting process before we actually wire the money. So how, you know, so you're going out and buying these, you said like 30 to 40% of market value. Is that right? Yeah. On average, 35 to 45%. Wow. That's, that's amazing. 
And then how long are you holding these uh, um, on average and what kind of holding costs do you have? Yeah. So on average, we we get them under contract on average in about three weeks. And then one of the, one of the bottlenecks we run into is just land loans. It's hard for people to get land loans in rural America. And that's where like, it's either, okay, they have to have cash or they have to have some sort of banking relationship. And that's kind of the holdup is on the loan a lot of times. So we usually, on average, we get it under contract within three to four weeks, and then it's usually an average of five to six weeks to close after that. Uh, what kind of debt? So, because land loans are very tricky, especially with the in the last nine months, they've tightened up quite a bit. You know, there was a lot of raw lot uh, loans going out. I know we were sourcing a lot of dirt where people would buy them well before permits, right? Because, you know, typically builders, you know, like in infill lots, which is a little bit of a different business model, they want to close with permits because they can get better debt on it and have less liquidity in the deal. You're targeting lots that are a lot more affordable. So you can kind of move lit, you know, it's it's a different sale. You're, you're going after that discounted lot where the cash outlay is not as heavy. Um, but how... What have you guys had? What kind of loans do you guys usually get? Because you know, as the market tightens and the return or the rates go up, lenders want more and more down. Have you had to change recently? And then, and what kind of debt do you guys usually try to get? And what's the average rate on those? Yeah, the average rate, and there's specific banks, especially in Georgia. There's a company called I think it's Finance Land Georgia or something like that. And they work with a lot of our buyers in that state. It really state by state. There's a lot of local banks who will finance land. Their average rate is probably around 10%. But as you know, a year ago, probably 60 to 70% of our sales were cash, right? Cash closes. But obviously things are changing. Debt's getting more expensive. Money's getting tighter. So we're starting to really have to look in that direction. How are we going to move land quicker without having the debt side such an issue? So we're starting to look at things like seller financing, offering our own financing as well, and then just selling the note. The good thing about selling seller financing is you can get things under contract really, really fast generally for land in these desirable areas. But the bad thing is on the back end, we got to maintain it. It's more work or we have to sell it off for you know 75% of the total unpaid balance. So you take a hit on profit. I'd rather personally drop the price enough to be able to get someone with cash or a loan. That's kind of our business model right now. So in, in recent months, Dan, have you seen the time it takes for you to resell properties tick up? Yes. Yes. It used to be, we used to put 50% of our properties used to sell same day or day after almost. Whoa. Now it's starting to, okay, it sits and some, we're, we're seeing more price drops for sure. It's, it's definitely here for sure. Things are slowing down. Yeah, I know in our local market, we've seen, you know, and we sell a lot of spot lots. Uh, we were talking about this before we hopped on where, we, you know, we're focused on core metro areas, a lot more expensive dirt um, that we're, you know, usually trying to plan and permit out the site uh, prior to even closing on it because the cost of the dirt, you know, our average our average lot where we are is going to be seven to $900,000 just to buy the lot. And what we've seen is that because of the debt, that has, you know, lenders, local banks and lenders are being very aggressive on land acquisition and then or if you have a permitted site to where they were asking for 50, you know, we did a townhome site where the bank financed us 90% of the deal. It was 10% down with the build out in there. And, but that's drastically changed over the last nine months. These banks, especially the local banks, as you know, some are starting to have issues. Their regulations and, and underwriting has really stepped up to where, now they're asking for, you know, they're not really doing raw land or they want to be at a 50% LTV on it. Right. And and so we've seen the demand for dirt. Dirt pricing has fallen 40% in, in our market 
in the in a, like a nine month period just because access to debt the the resale values have only compressed like five to ten percent, but the the cost of the dirt has fallen dramatically. Are you seeing that in these raw lands too? Um, in kind of these outskirts areas, or is, is it because it's so cheap, we you haven't seen as much movement on it? Yeah, we haven't seen movement in the price like you've seen in that in that area. I, that makes sense. I mean, especially with building getting tighter and tighter and debt getting tighter and tighter. Out in our markets, we haven't seen price drops like you've seen, but we what we are seeing is more and more buyers backing out of the deal because they can't get loans. So they're they're getting pre qualified or whatever. You know, a month or two ago, they come to us, they put the offer in. We're getting. We have to be really, really picky on the front end, kind of analyzing the offers because what happens? These people are underqualified, saying they're getting a loan, and then, like you said, these loans, their their underwriting process is changing significantly. So, yeah, we're seeing we're seeing that as well, just not on the pricing side. Dan, you said that uh, you, one of the things that attracted you to land investing is that there is relatively little competition. Um, why do you think that is? It's given, you know, the way you're describing it sounds like a very interesting, profitable business. Why do you think there's not more interest from other real estate investors? It's picking up for sure. It's you're starting to see like there's certain areas we we target where the landowner will get three, you know, three or four different offers. Most of the time it's not that way. But I think it's just a newer emerging business model, to be honest. Like it it is picking up the competition's rising, but it's still greatly, greatly lower than, you know, going to wholesale property in Austin, Texas or something like that. So I, I think it's just a newer business model that people are starting to understand and see. And there are a lot of, so what we're seeing now, there's a lot of wholesalers coming to try to wholesale land as well. And they're starting with the infill lots. And then they're coming to us and seeing our business model as well. And they're starting to come to more rural land and get outside the infill lots as well. So I think the wholesalers are starting with the infill lots are coming in and now they're starting to expand out. It is a really, really fast growing niche right now, the land investing model, especially in the rural America aspect. And what, you know, if, if someone listening to this is interested in getting into this model, like what type of investor or what skills do you think are needed to get into land investing to be successful? So yeah, the biggest obstacle that we see is mail, right? We're sending direct blind offers. That's what's worked best for us. We do text, we cold call, we have services for that as well. And we've emailed, we've tried all that. It's good to get people on the phone, but blind offers filters out all the BS. They call you and they actually want to sell their land. So the biggest obstacle with that blind offers is the upfront capital, right? It's like 62 cents to send a piece of letter. So the biggest thing is people coming in that are kind of fearless. They understand we're going to reach people through blind offers so that that takes upfront capital and you have to believe in the business model to do so. So the people that succeed are people who come in and they're more fearless, right? They're ready to go. They're ready to send mail. They're ready to acquire properties. And the, the biggest skill I see pay off in this business model is great salespeople, right? Because they get on the phones. They're not scared to talk. They're very confident. They negotiate down. They negotiate with these sellers because a lot of the sellers that we send a letter to call us, they want more money or they want to, you know, they want to trust us or make sure we, they can trust us to sell us their land. So they just want a conversation. So the people that come in with good sales experience, I think, do the best. And so you kind of referenced that a lot of wholesalers, and I've been seeing this too, um, you know, wholesalers was kind of a big deal for uh, wholesaling dirt was a big model for the last 24 months. And actually guys were getting paid really well because builders were being so aggressive. Like I, I've never seen builders buying like this in infill. Like they were paying 50% of value which typically they're 25 to 30%, 35 to 40% with a permanent hand, but they were just breaking all their rules at the time. Um, and then as it's gotten trickier, I think 
I've seen the migration, like you've said, from these wholesalers sourcing infill because it's a lot more complex on those lots to go into these more affordable markets. And just like all investments right now, people are chasing that affordable deals. Like if you have a really good fix and flip property that's more expensive, people are still wary of it because it's expensive. The debt costs more. You got to have more capital outlay. But then the cheap fix and flip deals are still flying off the shelf. Are are you worried that that space could get a little bit more crowded since, you know, wholesalers are having a lot hard time moving dirt in these infill areas? Um, You know, I know for us, we had to switch our model from us tying it up, doing the analytics to going, hey, builder, where do you want to be at? And we work it backwards at that point because it's just to lock the deal in because of the different variances that come in with infill lots like the city, the jurisdiction, the permitting. Do you think that your space could get more crowded with the kind of the the complexity that's happened in these more expensive markets? Yeah, it's going to. I mean, they come in and they see the simplicity of it and the profit potential. It's like, it's, they come in and they see that, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a matter of time before it gets more and more competitive. It's going to happen. It's much, much more simple of a business model, flipping rural dirt, rural vacant dirt without any restrictions on it than what you're seeing in those more metro areas with the very expensive lots. So naturally it's going to get more crowded. That being said, the business model will change over time, just like business models do. We're not, we might in five years, we were five years, we might not be able to buy a piece of dirt for 35 or 45 grand and resell it for a hundred, 110 grand in, in three weeks. It might not be that way, but we might have to change the business model right now. We're doing a lot of different projects, improvements, repurposing, rezoning, things like that. Or you just take a 50 acre. It's not that complicated too. You can take a 58 acre lot, split it five times down the middle and sell five, 10 acre lots and get, you know, 310, 350%. So I think naturally as it gets more competitive, which it will, just because the simplicity and the profit potential in the business model, naturally the business model will change a little bit. And that's where these different niches get are going to get more and more important. And specializing in these different markets are gonna, gonna get more and more important. And so what can you explain some of the specializations in the market? Like you're talking about subdividing land. Are you selling those to developers, to farmers, or who's buying these? Yeah, so we're we're not selling to developers typically, and we're talking minor subdivisions, right? Like splitting something up five times for a fifty acre lot. It's extremely it's it's extremely easy to do. We're not talking about putting roads and sewage and plumbing and all that stuff in it. We're talking about just minor subdivisions. And our future buyer typically is someone who just wants five acres outside of a city, or they're sick of living in a city, or they live in the area. They just want to move and have land and have space. It's it's a I personally, that was one of the biggest obstacles I had to overcome is understanding there's actually a demand in rural America for, for these rural lots. But th- there is like there's people there's so many people out there looking for five acres, 10 acres, 20 acres. And with with these people looking in high demand and like what we were just talking about, kind of lacks, a, lack of access to capital. Are you guys looking? I know for us sourcing dirt, we're always looking, you know, anytime we're we're working on any type of investment, it's how do we maximize it? And for us, you know, we're actually starting to take these lots in and entitling them ourselves because we can then sell these lots for, you know, typically 30% more than we're selling them for raw. Are you guys starting to, like, as you scale your business, you've had a lot of success. You're moving a lot of different dirt. Are you guys looking at getting into any other types of things like entitling your property? And entitlement, you know, entitlement just for everybody is when you grab the piece of raw land, you permit out the site, permits are ready to issue, which then a builder can get better financing on. Are you guys going to be doing any of that um, just to kind of 
expand the business model or is it you like focusing on the down dirty cheap lots i mean you're obviously buying them at great spreads you're you know you're you're getting a hundred percent return on your investment on each lot but is there any uh, like what's next on the scaling as far as sourcing dirt and selling it yeah we we are looking into doing that we haven't done much of it so far to answer your question but for us like our target this year is let's do more more expensive lots right more six figure some seven figure lots that we're buying and with those lots, you have a lot of different opportunity to repurpose them and rezone them or subdivide them, like we're saying. So what we're looking to do, we're just looking for bigger, more expensive lots. So far this year, we've already bought probably five to 10 different six-figure lots, which is big in this space. Like We we weren't doing that a year ago. We were buying twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand $50,000 lots. This year so far, we have a lot of different six-figure lots we're buying. And a lot of the times, they're they're that much more expensive because one, the area, but two, a lot of times we're just buying bigger. Like We're buying... Uh, tomorrow, Thursday, yeah. Tomorrow we're closing on Sumter, Sumter County, South Carolina. We're closing on a 75 acre lot for, I think around 70, 80 grand. So we're, we're really looking for more expensive properties. It's still cheap compared to the Seattle market, what you're seeing 700 grand for a lot. But for us, we're trying to scale our numbers up and we're doing that by doing more, more projects and buying in more desirable areas. And so you guys are going to be developing those out, and that kind of blows my mind, right? If you're saying, oh, well, we can make these subdivisions in a quick amount of time. Like for us, it takes 12 months to get a permit for a single-family house, 9 to 12 months in Seattle. Townhomes are like 12 to 18 months. How long does it, you know, so if when I hear buying a raw lot and doing a subdivision, I'm naturally like, oh, this is such a long deal. What What is the time frame for that? Like you can take 70 acres. You're going to, let's say you want to split it up into four parcels. What, what does that look like and how long does that take? Because, you know, the debt cost kind of wrote a deal very quickly. Right. What, like, what what's the timelines on that? Typically, you're on the surveyor. Like, you're just waiting on the survey and then you just need to file. Like, that's why we're, we're focused on low restriction areas because of that. We don't want to have to get all the permits and do all that work, like you're saying, and wait 12 months. We're waiting on the surveyor at the time. So right now, like six to 10 weeks to get a survey done and then you need to file and do all that. So usually... Within eight to 12 weeks, we can have a full survey done. A lot of times quicker than that. It just really depends the area and the surveyor's availability. And then how long does it take for those cities to issue those lots? Because, you know, that's where we get jammed up. Like, we'll have our surveyor out to a site in five days, but then it goes into this abyss of waiting in the city. Do these counties just really approve it that quickly? Yeah. Yeah, typically, no, we're not. We're not. There's not much hold time on that. Within a couple of weeks, we should have that all ready to go. Are you jealous, James? I, I'm extremely jealous because the timing and the waiting is what kills you on these deals. Absolutely. We have a townhome site that we're doing and and we got a good price on it, but you know, it's so expensive. We paid four point seven million for this this site in in Bellevue, Washington. We've been waiting on permits for three and a half years. No. It's it, and granted, if it had permits, the, the site would have been worth eight million. Because uh, it's in a it's in a prime prime location, uh, right? But it, it's like it's when you get to that two three year mark, you're like, what is going on? That blows my mind because I'm not I'm not used to the and that's part of the reason our business model is outside of cities. Like the people that come looking for this business model are the people who want quick cash flow, a quick way out of their nine to five, right? And you're not going to do that by repurposing and rezoning. You, you can buy these. That's why we're so focused at first on buying the forty thousand, selling them for eighty thousand, because it's a quick way out of. It was a quick way out of our jobs, quick way to get good cash flow and all of that. We're not used to the city ordinance like that, waiting on waiting on city. Yeah, a lot, there's a lot of politics that go on there. And so it just goes slower. And it's just, it, it's, 
I mean, honestly, I, I think uh, I need to get into your land business because I think every year that goes by with a permit, it knocks a year off your life, too, because you're just yeah. like, so frustrating. <laughs> yeah. I was at the city yesterday, like, how do we get this moving forward? Like, and it's been even worse lately because, you know, with the, the, the labor market issues, these cities are having problems hiring people, too. I'm sure. So it's like they're understaffed. It's taking forever, and it, it can become very detrimental to your deal, like if if you think it's going to be a year and a half permit and you're putting 50% down, it turns into three. Right. Your cash on cash return just drops dramatically over the life of that deal. And so uh, I am, I'm extremely jealous right now of your timelines. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you teaching us a little bit here. Is there anything else you think our audience should know about land investing before we get out of here? Like I said, it's, it's really for the people who are stuck in their jobs and want a quick way out or would just want a way out. It's it's a cash heavy, cash flow heavy. You know, you're not rental properties, you know, you're you're in it for a long-term investment. You're not going to get out of your job first year generally. For me, land flipping was that income. It was that way of doing that, getting out of my 9 to 5 job. And and I think that's who it's for. It's for the people looking for a nice, steady, really really lucrative way out of their 9 to 5 job, looking for that freedom. And that's kind of what we preach. Now it's from this podcast, it might sound a lot easier than it is. We, we, for every 2,000 mailers we send out, we get one deal back. So that's about twelve to $1,400 cost to acquire one property, given our average profit on a deal is about twenty dollars to $23,000. But that's the biggest hurdle, Dave, is people who come in and they're, they're scared to spend money. But how do we get in front of these landowners? We have to send a mail. We have to target them through marketing aspects like mail and texting. And that's where the biggest hurdle is people fearing and to put out that money for that. Well, thank you so much, Dan. If people want to learn more about you or your business, where should they do that? You can learn more about the land investing business model on my website, landinvestingonline.com, or I'm very active on Instagram. It's at Daniel Apke. DM me. I'm happy to help with any questions you guys have. All right. Thanks, Dan, so much for being here. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Dan. James, what'd you think? Man, I think uh, I think I'm uh, working too hard, <laughs> fighting with these cities. Yeah, and I have experienced that before. I remember we we actually did a big site where we um, we were working with a builder. We were doing a big 1031 exchange for one of our clients, and we bought uh, five raw lots that had permits. The builder was going to build out for multifamily, and it was a great cash flow deal. And I remember walking it with the builder, and I'm like talking about the planning, and we really wanted to change two units. And the guy's like, well, we can get that change done. I'm like, oh, is that going to be nine months out? He's like, no, 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 just give me one day. He goes over to the city, walks in this more rural area. They approve the plans right there on the spot. Comes back. He goes, no problem. And I was like, I am working in the wrong markets. Like we have big spreads in our markets, but there's big headaches to come with it. (laughs) Yeah. No one's buying two or $3 million flips in these, in these rural markets. (laughs) You'd have to cut out that business. No, but I I mean, I I do love the model because it's very scalable as like a wholesaler or or investor because it's really a numbers game. There's so much raw lots in middle America you're just targeting, you're, you're going out, you know what your spread is, you know what your target is. And then people are a lot, you know, they're not, It's like you said, there's less competition. So you can kind of just name your term. And if the guy's ready to sell at that time, he's really going to entertain that offer. Yeah, I guess the, the part that gives me some hang up is like the demand side. Like I know Dan was saying like people just want raw land, but I'm curious in an economic downturn, 
if people are still going to be buying raw land at the same price and with the same fervor. I mean, if you're buying at 30 or 40 cents on the dollar, like it's probably not that risky, but I would just be curious how, how this unfolds over the next couple of years. Yeah. I think it would be good to have a backup plan for each site. If I was doing that model, like, okay, I'm buying this thing raw. I know what my spread is, but you know, as financing and all these small banks are having a little bit more issues, um, you know, I think the lending requirements are going to tighten up even like harder, especially on stuff like this. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're selling a hundred thousand dollar lot, people are gonna have to come up with 50 grand and that might be a lot for that specific area. And, you know, if it was me, I'd put a backup plan with like, you know, maybe you're just putting a mobile home on the property, septic, well, mobile home, and at least have that in your back pocket. Because, you know, even if the lots are 30 to 40 grand, but you buy 10 of them, that's 300 grand you got to service. And it can be, it can be cheap, can get risky really fast as well. Yeah. Yeah. That I would just be worried about getting stuck holding the bag for longer than I wanted to. Like when you buy land, in Seattle, is it mostly for your own development or are you flipping it also? Uh, we do both because um, we builders like an in infill, we stick to what we know and we, we build based on what our resources are. So like your typical builders in, in your metro areas are going to be your townhome density guys, which we that's what we buy. Um, and then you have your single family, the one for ones where they're building a brand new house. And then you now with all the upzoning and the density chasing, they have, there's like we call them a three pack where people can build a single family, an ADU and a, a DADU all on the same site. And so it, if it hits our buy box, we buy it because that's what we're we're supposed to be. You know, we're good at building. But if it doesn't, we work with other builders. But the, the reason I like the Metro is we're not buying based on speculation. We're buying based on performa. So we know what our build costs are. You know, when we're, we're targeting land, we're acquiring it for this. We know we have to build like our average build cost is 325 in Seattle. We can build this product for this and this is what it will sell for. So it's, I think it's a little bit more of a package. And so, and we know that that will always trade in addition to, if we build that out and let's say the market comes down, we at least can rent it out. We're not sitting on raw lot because the, the problems with raw lots is they don't pay you money and your income goes down. And so that's why it can be a little bit riskier to just land bank. I always say land banking is for rich guys. Yeah. They don't care about the return. It smells like speculation to me. You know, like I know if you know what you're doing, it's, there's more to it than that, but isn't that what land banking is? Just speculating that someone's going to pay more for it in the future. There's no real like fundamentals behind it, is there? It's a hundred percent speculation, and I think as the market gets harder to get financing, you're going to want a, the biggest spread. You know, like if I may buy a piece of raw land just to sit on it, but I'm going to want to pay fifteen twenty cents on the dollar, right? Because yeah, I, I like income coming in, and I like to know what my disposition is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's why I think it is a little bit. That's probably why there's less competition. Because like with wholesaling, like you said, yeah, there's competition, but you know what the dispo is. So there's a lot less risk for you than there is in this model. Yeah, it's when we're buying land, it's a buildable plan in the next 12 months, no matter what. Um, and, you know, when we're sourcing to other builders, they are also they're, they're businesses. So I mean, they, they have to keep their engine going and pricing just comes down to what the market conditions is. And so, you know, in metro areas, the, the land kind of follows the market more. You know, how much is what, what's availability of capital? How are things selling? What's bill cost? Uh, speculation is you're just buying it cheap and, and, and you'll, you'll sell it in the future at some point for more. All right, cool. Well, this was fun. I learned a lot. And I think honestly, you know, this this kind of model is not what I invest in personally, but I think it's really interesting for people who are 
trying to earn more of that like transactional type income, like flipping or wholesaling. This is a really interesting option with less competition than probably either traditional like house flipping or wholesaling has. So um, yeah, check out, learn more from Dan, or uh, it sounds like there's some information on the BiggerPockets forums about this as well. Um, so if you're interested in learning more, you should check out those resources. James, thanks a lot for being here, man. We appreciate your time. Always. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time for On the Market. On the Market is created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kaylin Bennett. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Joel Esparza and Onyx Media. Research by Pooja Jindal. And a big thanks to the entire Bigger Pockets team. The content on the show On the Market are opinions only. All listeners should independently verify data points, opinions, and investment strategies. The housing market is changing, and finding your way right now can be a bit tricky. There are rate shifts, there are confusing headlines, but at the end of the day, your goal hasn't changed. You probably still want financial freedom as much as ever. Well, the good thing is that experienced investors know it's not about trying to time the market. It's about the amount of time you have in the market. And if you're ready to get into real estate investing game, you can still do that, or you can take your game to the next level by finding an investor-friendly agent. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in just a few minutes. You head over to biggerpockets.com deals, enter in some details about what you want, where you want to buy, and boom, you instantly get matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investments in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.